You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Matthew 26, find your place there and let's, uh, let's get ready for the message here this morning. When we are singing our songs, um, it's us lifting up our voice and us giving to the Lord, and that's what we are intended to do in a congregation. We sing our, our hymns or specials like that. While we are, we're blessed by listening to the songs, but God is honored by those. He gets glory when we sing to Him, and I've always challenged us to be sure you you give praise to God while you're singing. Don't worry about those around you, what they may or may not think about your singing. It's not about them, it's about God. So when we sing, we're praising the Lord. When the word is preached, it's preached to us. It's uh, two different directions that things take place, and that's the way God intended it to be. The preaching of the word of God is to come into our hearts, to be a blessing to help us, but when we're singing in a congregation, this is what God fully intended that he would get glory and honor as we lift up his name and praise him in song. This morning, I want to talk to you about the elements of effective praying. That'll be the title of my message, The Elements of Effective Praying. I wish I could sit down and talk to each of you on an individual basis, or maybe at least to you as a family, and ask you, how's your prayer life? And I'm not saying, how's your prayer life doing? Have you been praying a lot or not? I don't mean that. I'd like to hear how your prayer life goes. What is it like when you pray? And um, is it more than just the drive to work? Um, you know, while you're driving to work, saying a few words to God? Or do you have a time when you get alone with the Lord and pray? I've got an idea. And here, you're here in church, you have a desire to try to reach God. And I have an idea that many of us sitting here today have some real needs. And if you don't have something that's just real outstanding today, I have no doubt there's been something that's gone on in your life, some circumstance that happened to you, some relational thing that was going on, a health issue. Lots of times it's financial, but it's really, really big. And I wonder what your prayer life is like when you're approaching those things. I I used to hear um, people say from years ago, the old-timey preachers used to say, uh, you know, you need to... You need to pray through. Has anybody else ever heard that little statement? You need to pray through. It's an old southern uh, statement. Um, But one of my greatest fears is, is not that we're praying through, but that we're just through praying. We don't really pray like God intends us to pray and talk to the Lord. And I think that a lot of us will come to our prayer time and we talk to God and maybe we feel a little bit distant from Him. Like, does He even want to listen to me today? You think about things you may have said or done, and like, am I worthy to be even talking to him? I, I felt that way before. I felt distant from God, like, and think of this, like my maker, the one who loved me enough to create me, wouldn't want to listen to me. I mean, that's a lie of the devil. But there's a lot of things that Christians will come upon in your prayer life, brick walls. While you're praying, you just feel like I, I'm not getting anywhere. Or your heart is... Um, Maybe distracted. You ever been distracted in your prayer life? Uh, it happens so easily. My wife loves to tell me, you're so easily distracted when I'm talking to her. 
And I can find that to be true, too, sometimes when I'm praying. There are some elements to effective praying, and you won't find a better example than what we're going to read about this morning. I, um, this passage is really kind of a, I'll just tell you, it's a heavy one for me. I feel like, and I know the Word of God is God's Word beginning to end, but I feel like we're kind of walking into some holy ground here this morning, that God is saying, can I just bring you in to my life? I'm going to open the doors for you. Let's just take it personal, Eastside. I'd like to open the doors for you and let you walk into my prayer closet. I want to show you how I had to pray to be able to achieve the greatest request that I think anybody could have ever received an answer for. And so we're walking into that prayer closet, all right? So um, if you'll hold your place here in Matthew, would you go back to James 5 with me quickly? James chapter 5. going to read the verse that I think Jesus expounds upon the greatest here in the book of Matthew, but in James chapter 5, if you'll drop down to verse 16 with me, if you will. And then we'll go back to Matthew. But please follow. James 5, 16, the Bible says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Listen to what he says here. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now back over to Matthew. If there's ever anybody in the world that had much that was needed in his life, it was Jesus at this time. And he needed to get a hold of God in the greatest and we say in the worst way. He needed to get a hold of God, but this is a man that teaches us how, how to pray that effectual, fervent way to be able to achieve things in the Christian's life. Follow with me now. We're in Matthew 26, drop down to verse 36. We'll read in this next set of verses as he enters into the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane, verse 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the, the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. So he's going to head into this prayer closet. And um, so he's leaving eight of his disciples out at some distance. And then he takes with him, look in verse 37, he brings them a little bit closer toward his prayer closet. We get to walk right into it with him. But even uh, these next three, and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, we know those to be uh, James and John. And began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Have you ever been there in prayer? Sorrowful and very heavy. I've been there, not like he has, and not to the degree, obviously. But I've been very sorrowful and I've been very heavy in my prayer time before. Verse 38, Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. So those, that next set of three, you've got the eight, and then the next set of three, Judas is yet to come. Of course, he comes to betray him. So these three are left here, and he says, now I'm going to go off and pray. And he says, my heart's so heavy, to the point of dying. 
It's how heavy my heart is. Verse 39, and he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed saying, and here we are right beside him, kneeling almost beside him, listening to his prayer. Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, uh, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. And saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's trying to get Peter to understand and to learn something here. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and he left them and went away again. So now we've got three different times he's gone back to the prayer closet and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Now, then this new moment, rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. And now that's the twelfth disciple, and that's Judas that is coming to betray him. All of these events centered around his prayer closet and uh, the fact that Christ has let us enter in. Let's, let's have prayer and I'll get into this this morning. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be here once again. I'm so grateful, Father, as uh, you have called me to preach the gospel, God, that I get to preach the word of God, and yet I am so humbled here this morning. And I just feel like I would be so inadequate to try to portray what really took place here. So would you please allow your Holy Spirit to minister across the congregation this morning, and may you work into the hearts and the minds of every individual here, and God, if it would be possible somehow to sense the weight uh, of what you experienced on that day, just a little bit of what it was like, give us an understanding and increase our prayer life with you, I pray and ask it in Jesus' name, amen. If you stop and think about it, our, our life and death was determined in a garden. If you went back to a garden of Eden, you know that, that in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And our life and death was determined in a garden back there. And now here we are moving ahead several thousand years and life and death are once again being determined in another garden. This is the garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus Christ understands that literally life and death for all of mankind is on the line here. Jesus knows in a few hours, you've been hearing me say that over the last several Sunday morning messages, he knows that he will be hanging from Calvary here in just a few uh, hours, I'll put it that way, and, and uh, it's not that long that that thing right out in front of him is going to take place, and he knows the ugly events that are going to happen, and so the weight of the world is sitting on his shoulders as he goes into the garden to begin to pray this prayer. His flesh is so strong, just like anybody else's flesh, he does not have a human nature. He does not have uh, the nature like we would have the, a sin nature. Let me put it that way. It would be a better way to say that. But he does have flesh like you and me. And that flesh was as strong on Jesus as it was you and me. And that flesh had its own uh, desires and wishes, so to speak. 
And Jesus is heading uh, toward this garden to pray. Um, this, this olive garden was, a, was probably a place where uh, wealthy men have had different sections purchased in this place, and probably some man that knew Jesus well had offered to him any time he wanted to make his way into this place, he could feel free to do that. Um, the word Gethsemane, maybe you've studied it out, has the meaning of either an olive vat, something that you would bring these as they used to do in that day. And when we were in Israel, I, I got to see them um, describe this in great detail. Our Jewish guide said, and he brought us over to this huge vat, and he said the way they would do it in that day, they would pick bags full of the olives, put them in these bags, come over to this huge uh, stone vat, and they would dump all the olives in there, and they would lay there for a day or so. Naturally, they would just naturally ooze some olive oil out by themselves. It was unmolested, so to speak, and so they would call that virgin olive oil. But then he said they would take this huge stone and they showed us that stone that was over here that they would sit in top, on top of these olives and would begin to make their way around with that huge stone and you could hear the flesh of the olives being crushed and I didn't realize this but the inside of the olive, inside the seed uh, of the olive is where most of the oil of the olive really is. I didn't know that. And to get the greatest amount of the oil to come forth from that, they had to crush this the very core of that, uh, of that olive. And so here goes the, the olive press, and that huge stone is being uh, crushing, uh, rolled around the, the olives and crushing them. And it's not a mistake that the Garden of Gethsemane means olive vat, or a place, if I could put it this way, where the soul of something is crushed, the very pit of that thing. And I've preached this here before, but in the Garden of Gethsemane is where Christ, uh, as he is kneeling down and praying with the weight of the world on his shoulders, pressing in so heavily that I really believe that that decision, that willingness to be able to follow through and go to Calvary as the weight of the sin was pressing upon him, was weighing heavy upon him. It was like his very soul was being crushed. And that oil that was produced is where we get the light of the world from what Christ was willing to do for us. And so here heads Jesus into this uh, Garden of Gethsemane, and he kneels down at his prayer closet, his favorite place to go and pray. And guys, I have found uh, the greatest example of knowing what it means when James said, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Nobody prayed more effectually. The word effectual means to be stretched out in the greatest manner possible. Fervent means with burning heat. And nobody gives a greater example of how you and I ought to learn how to pray than what Jesus does in this example here this morning. One of the elements that I would start with here this morning that is part of our effective praying, number one, is to understand just what really is at stake. If you and I are going to learn how to be good prayer warriors, if, if somebody learns on Saturday night how to get on your knees and to beg and pray that God would do something in a tremendous way at Eastside tomorrow, that, that God would speak to my heart and God would speak to your heart and maybe a lost soul would get saved or you've got some real needs in your life and if, if you want to 
be able to get to a place in your life where you pray to God and you know that God has heard your prayer and it just seems like the Lord is listening to me and, and I've connected with God, then the first thing you better know and have clear in your heart and mind is to understand what is really at stake. Look in verse 38. We'll go back to that and kind of show you what, uh, how Jesus lays this out for us. Of course, he left the disciples in their different stations. And then uh, he said to them in verse 38, Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. I mean, Jesus knew that Judas was not all that far away uh, from his infamous betrayal that we're going to read about next week, Lord willing. Uh, So he was telling them, Uh, I know what's coming. You guys need to stay awake and watch for what's coming this way. I I know what's about to happen. I mean, he had a very good understanding of what was just around the corner. And also, if you remember how naive Peter was when he told the Lord we read last week, you know, Lord, uh, I know you've told us that we're going to deny you three different times, but hey, I just need to enlighten you a little bit here. If I can tell you something, Jesus, you don't fully understand isn't that a joke? Because that's what he was trying to do, is I'll follow you even to the point of death. And those words, the spirit of those words are still lingering in the air. And uh, Jesus knew Peter was going to deny him three different times. He would deny that he even knew him. And so with those words in the air still lingering in that spirit of Peter, Jesus tells him, watch and pray. You just don't know what is just right around the corner like I do. Um, Also, Jesus didn't want them falling asleep. You know what it's like to just, when you first wake up, I, uh, I was going to meet somebody here at church, and I was going to counsel with them one Sunday night right before the service, and I <clears throat> sat on my couch, and we have this little thing, you can push a button, and your feet just go out like this, and I can lay right back and stare at the clock. And I kept staring at the clock, and I took a good nap. It was a Sunday afternoon, um, okay. I just die for a little while. And then I'll wake up and look at the clock, and it was still, I had like 30 minutes, plenty of time. And I get this call, um, I think it was Kath saying, Pastor, are you supposed to meet with somebody here? I'm like, yeah, but I got like 30. Oh, our clock stopped. Oh, no. They were sitting there waiting on me. I run, I jump out of the chair, you know, when you first wake up. I run in, try to comb my hair, brush my teeth. That all took about 30 seconds. And uh, jump in the car, and I'm driving like, like this to get to the church. And I ran in the office, and I sat down. I said, so <laughs> you could just see it all over my face. How are things going? You know what it's like. You're not alert. Um, and Jesus knew that. And uh, guys, I want you to stay awake. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Peter, especially you, because you have no idea what's really coming your way. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 5.15, see then that you walk circumspectly. The word circumspect means to be careful and watchful, looking at all points as much as possible. And he says, not as fools, but as wise. Walk that way. Be careful. And guys, as we're approaching our prayer life, is something. When, these are the kind of things we need to remember. Every Christian needs to be, let me put it this way, if I'm going to be a proper prayer warrior, if I want to see things really happen in my prayer life, every Christian needs to be keenly aware of the conditions that are around you. Uh, for Jesus, he knew that in a matter of hours, the sin of the world was literally going to be laid on him. He knew that. 
You ever, you ever had to take the guilt for what somebody else did? You took the blame. You know, the boss came down on you, and you knew full well this wasn't about you. It was about somebody else. And here Jesus knows everything that the world has ever done wrong is about to be laid on him. He knows what's out in front of him. He has a full understanding of that. And no human being can even come close to understanding the weight that must have sat on his shoulders. But Jesus did. And the weight of that drove him to Gethsemane. It's what drove him to that olive press where his soul was literally crushed for us. And the weight of that trial was so grievous, it almost killed him. He said, I sorrow to the point of death. My soul is exceeding sorrowful even uh, to death. And he knew what he was facing and he knew the reality of what it was really all about. And I, if, if we're going to have a prayer life that does something for uh, my life, for your life, you've got to have a good understanding of what's right out in front of you. What's really at stake? If I could talk to the dads here this morning. Um, you say, my kids are little, Pastor. Well, they're going to grow up. When does that happen? Tomorrow. I mean, just like that. They're going to be out the door and you can't believe how fast your kids are going to grow and your kids are going to be facing some horrific things in this life I was watching the, the other day about a young lady that had such talent and had trained and was was uh, so skilled in what she had been trained for and so so many high hopes by her parents and then she got involved with a man that that got her involved into drugs and and all of a sudden her vision was gone and her dreams were gone she lost all the desire for all those uh uh, things she had trained for so well by the time this story and documentary was over that woman was in the grave sadly it's just like dad do you really understand what's out in front of our kids life moms do you really understand what our kids are facing every day you know what you're facing every day you know the trials that are out there I, I, I've had those horrible ugly phone calls about this person or that person I've had to sit in my office or go to the house of people and they had no idea uh, the thing that was facing them that very day when they got out of bed the ugly thing that was in front of them I'm just saying do you really understand what's right out in front of you and do you have an understanding that when you go to the Lord in prayer there's so much really at stake people around you need to hear the the, the truth that God is real and to be able to see in my life that I don't just tell people I, I know the Lord. He's real to me. They, there's so much right out in front of us that people need to know. And if you go to the Lord in prayer, one of the first things you better have straight in your life is a good understanding of exactly what is at stake. For Jesus, it was the weight of the world was going to press in upon his soul. And so he was able to pray that effectual, fervent kind of praying. Another element, part of effective praying, if I'm going to see the things that are heavy on my heart, if the, if the moms and dads in our service today are going to see God do some miraculous things in the lives of your family or your children or you as an individual, another one of those elements is, number two, you got to know how to work past the weakness of our own flesh when you go to the Lord in prayer. For instance, look with me in verse 40. Go back down there with me. Verse 40. And notice how it says it here, and he cometh to the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Somehow we have to learn how in our prayer time to get past the weakness of our flesh. And if you'll remember, Peter was so insistent that, you know, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'll even die with you. But when it came right down to it, guys, what really happened? Peter couldn't even stay awake and watch for one hour. Although I'm going to die with you, but staying awake for an hour to pray with you is next to impossible for me. And Jesus told him, your spirit has the desire, Peter, but your flesh is so weak. And if we can just learn that, it wasn't that Peter didn't have a desire to watch and pray, but get this, it was just that his flesh was more dominant in his life than his spirit at that time. The spirit was willing, but his flesh was so very weak. And this is really a a lesson in action for Peter to understand who he really, really was, not who he thought he was. He came to the realization, I have this real desire to follow you, Jesus, but man, I never realized how weak my flesh becomes, even just in a moment of prayer. So the question is, do you think Jesus didn't have just as many anxieties working through his own mind as the disciples did? That could have brought him to a place of being very weak and tired and just wanted to go off somewhere and take a nap somewhere. You think he didn't have some of the same things working through him? I mean, I'm sure he was even more physically exhausted than the disciples were. How was it that he managed to stay alert and to be able to pray fervently and not doze off? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Dozing off in your prayer time? I think a lot of us a lot of stories I don't have time to tell them but I had a friend Jeff Baker Bible College man we had heard uh, read the stories about great men of God and we'd hear all these great messages while we were in Bible College and and we wanted to be prayer warriors and Jeff said uh, uh, he said Phil I got to tell you a story I went home after work and I said I wanted to go home I just wanted to be a prayer warrior I wanted to pray to God and he said I got right next to my bed we we were up early in the morning and, and up late at nights and he said, I knelt down by my bed and I was laying there praying. He said, I prayed fervently. And he said, I woke up. And he said, my head had fallen down onto the bed like this. And my body had fallen asleep. And he said, it just felt like God had took my head off. And it set it on the bed because I'd fallen asleep on him while I was praying. He said, I was petrified. Uh, you, you all know what it's like. You're trying to pray. You've got this sincere desire in your heart. And you get dozy and drowsy and you, your, your head keeps dipping. You think Jesus didn't experience some of that with all that anxiety that was pressing in on him? And his, I believe his flesh was screaming as loudly as any human could ever hear. Really, honestly. Uh, but Jesus somehow learned to keep the flesh in submission to his spirit. And because of that, he was able to endure everything the flesh was throwing at him. And think about all the things the flesh was throwing at him. His prayer was so intense, they, you know, you've heard this many times probably by now, but the little tiny capillaries in his sweat glands had begun to rupture because of the great pressure that was in his heart and soul thinking about all this and began to sweat those great drops of blood that would fall to the ground. I mean, it was heavy on him. And I can honestly say to us as a congregation, guys, until we learn how to crucify the flesh and determine that the spirit in me is going to control the flesh that's wrapped around me, 
till I can learn that I'm, uh, my spirit is in control and, and not my body that screams at me, then we're never really going to truly learn how to have an effectual prayer life. Sometimes I'll get to the Lord in prayer and, I, and lots of times I'll walk around this building, I, I do laps around here and I do in my prayer time and I'm just praying to God and I'll find myself just kind of drifting away in my thoughts and and it just breaks my heart because I, I know the things I'm praying for. Sometimes it's some of you guys. So many of us have gone through cancer and some, some really heavy things. And I just have to stop. And I kind of concentrate and work my way past my flesh and my distractions and all the things that wage war on my prayer life. Do you know what I'm talking about? You ever been on your knees praying about something very sincerely? And the next thing you know, you're off at work or you're... You're out in the backyard mowing, or, and you're like, how did this happen? And Jesus, with what was out in front of him, understanding uh, what really was at stake, had learned how to work past his flesh and be zeroed in on God. And then thirdly, which will be the last thought here this morning, if you're going to have an effective, fervent prayer life, and this is the big one, you have to have a completely submissive will to God's will. And I hope you listen to that. You have to, when you go to the Lord in prayer and you've got this real heavy need in your heart and you're just begging and hoping, oh God, I've got to have this. If, if I don't get this from you, Lord, my life's going to fall apart. It's that kind of spirit that you're going to God with. But if you don't understand that, if I don't go to the Lord with a completely submissive will, then what you're trying to do is twist God's arm behind his back until he agrees with you to give you what you want, whether it's his will or not. You understand that? That's a lot of times what we'll do. Look in verse 39 with me again. Drop down there. In verse 39 and 42, both say, And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Notice this. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Verse 42. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. I remember uh, the pastor that was here before me, and some of you were uh, under Pastor Rick Henry. Anybody here? Raise your hand. Pastor Rick Henry was my pastor. Well, still several of you, quite a few. I remember when Paul Henry, his dad, kept having heart attacks, wasn't it? That was that's what his dad had was heart attacks, and and um, and then he had the last one that took his life, and uh, I remember me and Yvette being up at the hospital with them and his dad was relatively young at that time and um, I remember him standing there and all of us gathered in the room and we were trying to pray for Paul Henry everybody in church loved Paul and um, man we were hoping God would just spare his life and I remember uh, Pastor Henry standing beside his dad had his hand on his arm and I remember hearing him pray this prayer and asking for God to heal his heart and to strengthen him again and raise him up off the bed of affliction and, you know, as a son would pray for his dad, what that moment was like. And then I heard him say, and his voice was trembling, but he said it with all of his heart, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And he trembled as he said, amen. And God did have his will and way, and God did heal Paul in heaven. We have to understand that. That's, that is the ultimate healing. But I, that made such an impression on my heart. 
God, my sincerest desire is this, but I want to yield myself in such a way that, God, you have your way and you know what's best for me. And if I don't get what I'm begging you for and that I feel so strongly about, then I'm going to let my will die in your hands and let you take up what is best for my life. God, if it's possible, do you think this do you think this cup could pass from me? Father, in the Old Testament they would uh, they would take that the the sin offering and and please notice this, they would take this animal um, that was to be offered up for the sins of Israel. The priest would go over to that animal and would lay his hand on the head of that animal which was a picture of all the sins of Israel being placed on this animal, the the sacrifice. And once the sins of Israel had been placed on the head of that animal, and all those sins representatively were placed on it, then they would slice the throat, catch the blood, sprinkle it on the altars and so forth, and would atone for the sins of, uh, of the people. Jesus knew and understood that he was now the New Testament Lamb of God. And he understood that all the sin of all eternity would be laid on him. And that while uh, Christ would be the one who would die and suffer for us, this was a bitter cup that he was just simply asking, would there be any way? Is there any other way so that this cup could pass from me? Because guys, whatever it was, was bringing him to great sorrow, even to the point of death. Well, what kind of a cup was it? First of all, it was a cup of suffering. And, and you've been through it with me. I've described it in great detail. The, the, the ways Christ suffered and his face was beaten so badly, you could not even recognize that he looked like a man. He was beaten so badly and his body was torn and the blood was just everywhere. First of all, it was a cup of suffering that was facing him. Number two, and this might have been one of the biggest ones for him, it was a cup of separation. My God, my God, why hast thou, what was the words he said to his father? Forsaken me. And for the only time in all eternity, the face of his father had to turn away because the Bible says thou art of purer eyes than to behold iniquity. In other words, God cannot look upon. And can you imagine all the sin of the world on one man? And the the face of his father had to actually turn away from him. It was, it was a cup of suffering. It was a cup of, of separation. I, um, can you imagine all the sin of the world being placed in that cup? We've heard of some pretty bad things happening here in America. The shootings that have taken place, I just read the other day where a young man, who's apparently a very famous young guy, had taken um, the bodies of two or three men that had been slain and dissolved them in uh, big vats of uh, acid. And I thought, how can a man do that? And I thought, how does ISIS take people and drop them on their knees and video their heads being taken off and then send it back to the America and to you know, their families? How does somebody do something like that? The ugliness and the stench of that. I've seen things that people have done. I, I've done things in my life that I wish I could change so badly. I wish I could change. But if you can imagine pouring all that into one cup and trying to drink that down. I've drank some really bad stuff. 
things. My friend uh, Mike Gray was working at a Marsh's grocery store. You've heard this, but I'll tell it again. He's going down each aisle with a mop, you know, come back, uh, get down to the end, turn around, come back to the uh, end of that same aisle. And then he would drop over to the next aisle and he'd bought him a little uh, bottle of pop and he'd sit it down at the end of one of the aisles. And as he'd come back down to the end of the aisle, he'd come back, get him a drink of pop and he'd come back down to the third row and he'd go back and he says, oh, man, I was thirsty. And he said, I picked that bottle up and I just boop, boop, boop. And he said, I felt it, but I couldn't stop it. Somebody had come by and dropped their cigarette down in the bottom in, the, in that old, you know, it was just a bottle of Coke sitting there. Somebody left. It's a good place to put my cigarette out. Bad place to put your cigarette out. <laughs> Better off not to lit the cigarette, amen? <laughs> Can you imagine that? feeling that old yucky old cigarette going down? It wouldn't have been down for long, but gulp that thing down. One cigarette but but a cup that had the sin of the world the ugliness you ever tipped your you know your coffee mug up and down the bottom of those grounds down in the bottom jesus drank every last one of those dregs they call it the ugliness and the stench of it all and he was thinking to his father as he looked up and just said would it be possible that this cup, my suffering, my separation from you, the ugliness of all the world, would there be another way? Is it possible this cup could just pass away from me? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And I stand here today as a saved man because he drank the cup and you're here this morning as a saved individual because Jesus Christ was willing to take his will and lay it down for his fathers his flesh wanted something else the flesh but God the father in heaven wanted him to die for the sins of the world I'll, I'll just tell you if you only had one spirit one element of praying that would probably be as good as so maybe some of the others, was for you when you go in your prayer life and you drop down on your knees before the Lord is to have a completely submissive will to God. And God, I, here's my desires and here's what I'd love to have. These are the things that I think would be good for me. But God, I just want you to know, whatever your will is, that's what I want in my life. There's a lot of people, Christians, that are holding grudges against God because this and that was allowed to happen to me and God allowed that to take place in my life. God knew it was there. He could have done something about that for me. Why me? And we don't always know why, but it does something in the plan of God and God can use those things. And, and when we learn how to lay my will at the hands of God and, and at the feet of Christ and say, God, however you want to use me, whatever cross in this life, can you imagine Jesus? He knew what he was facing when he agreed to the will of God. He knew he was facing Calvary. And if I could just say, God, whatever cross it is you want me to bear, if it fulfills the purposes of God in this life, I'm willing to lay my life down, my will for thine. I believe then and only then will we really begin to understand what a prayer life really is all about. When I understand what's at stake, what's really out in front of me, you know, and I learn how to get past my flesh and I lay my will 
at his. I don't know if you're here this morning and maybe you don't know this Christ as your Savior. And maybe you don't fully understand that the sin of the world that he took upon him was part of your sin as well. All of your sin, all of our sin. He suffered and died for everything that you've done wrong. And you stand guilty before that God And he's willing to forgive you of your sin. If you're willing to confess, I'm a sinner, God, and I I need you to be my Savior, God would be willing to save you here today, right here and right now, if you'd be willing to allow him to do so. I'm going to ask if you just bow your heads with me, please. This morning, uh, our heads bowed and eyes closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.